My name is Elijah Hebring. Jesus is my guidance because he is the light to my feet and a lamp to my path. He gives me guidance in times of trouble. He gives me wisdom when I'm struggling and he gives me strength when I'm weary. My name is Peyton Willage and Jesus is my rock because he is my firm foundation. My name is Candace Thompson and Jesus is my friend because he's always there for me. My name is Malik Fisher. Jesus is my shepherd because he guides me wherever I go. My name is Mason Galky, and Jesus is my cornerstone because he holds me together, and without him, I am nothing. My name is Aiden Smith. Jesus is my rock because he gives me strength to do hard things and is always there for me. My name is Abby Hebrink, and Jesus is my closest friend because he's always there in my time of need. My name is Jameson Visser. Jesus is my coach because he strengthens my faith game. My name is Kate Brofhart. Jesus is my best friend because he's always there for me. He's loyal and trustworthy, and I know that he'll always listen to whatever I have to say. My name is Carly Anderson, and Jesus is my everything because he's always there for me, and I can talk to him about anything. My name is Eliza Van Z, and Jesus is my best friend because he cares for me, and he's always there for me. My name is Anna Childerson. Jesus is my shepherd because he's always watching over me. My name is Brecken DeVries. Jesus is my friend because he's always there for me. I'm JC Trine and Jesus is my guide because he's always with me and he'll never leave me or forsake me. I'm Cameron Trine and Jesus is my stronghold because he will always protect me. My name is Max Lawman. Jesus is my shepherd because he is watching over his people in the fields. Hi, my name is Chase Lawman. Jesus is my father because his love is uncomprehendable. Hi, I'm Evelyn Monk. Jesus is my light because he guides me and shows me the way. Hi, my name is Rachel Kakmarinski. Jesus is my foundation because he reminds me of who I am. My name is Faith Kakmarinski. Jesus is my good shepherd because he guides and protects me. Hi, my name is Daniel Rosenboom, and Jesus is my companion because he's always there for me. I'm Titus Hopkins, and Jesus is my shield because he protects me and keeps me safe from the enemy. My name is Cooper Lautenbach, and Jesus is my strength because he gives me confidence to learn more and grow throughout my faith. My name is Peyton Phillips. Jesus is my Lord and Savior because he opened the door for me to go to heaven. Hi, my name is Aaron Helbush. Jesus is my Savior because I know I can count on him through all the hard times that I go through. My name is Ben Goslink, and Jesus is my comforter because even through tough situations, he is always there for me, like a friend. Hi, my name is Liam Zula, and Jesus is my coach because he coaches me through each and every situation I'll ever go through. I'm Caleb Punt, and Jesus is my salvation because he died for me and saved me from my sins and myself. My name is Chloe Punt, and Jesus is my helper because he's always there for me and helps me in times of trouble. I'm Palmer Hemming. Jesus is my rock because I can lean on him in tough times. My name is Parker Hemming. Jesus is my friend because I can trust him. My name is Joshua Moldy, and Jesus is my peace and joy because he always keeps on loving me. My name is Ellie Van Z, and Jesus is my best friend because he's always there for me.
Alright. Honestly, this kind of feels like an interrogation. Like lights, <laughs> camera. <laughs> I love those videos. Every year, there and then the so what, what happens is they come in and they sit down, and Chrissy has the camera rolling, and they always give you know their first take is always just like they're so unhappy with it, and they're just like, ah, give me another chance. So that's where all the outtakes come from. One year, one of the kids brought in his uh, his little baby from home ec, and he's just rocking it while he did his thing. <laughs> I love students; they are the best. All right. Well, hey, I'm going to call up. Chase and Max and Aaron. So come on up here and take your spots on the stage. We have three students making public profession of faith here in the auditorium. I think our number is 30 and across all four services here uh, at 3rd, which obviously you saw all their uh, smiling faces on the video. So first, let me address you guys. Profession of Faith at Third Church um, is in three parts. The first part is a class that we call Foundations. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to have faith? What's it like to read the Bible? What is prayer? What is the Holy Spirit? We kind of go through uh, Christianity 101 as a group. And then, if they want to continue on in the Profession of Faith process, we ask them to find a mentor and part two and part three, they go with their mentor. So we are at the end of part two. So they, they went even deeper uh, with their mentors. What does it mean to be a part of a church body? Um, just, yeah, like Christianity 102. It's like the next step. And then they shared their faith story to our elders a few weeks ago. And now they are here to be in front of you, to be welcomed into our body. So... And then part three, we asked them and their mentors to have an ongoing discipleship uh, through the end of the summer. So, Chase Lahman, Aaron Helbush, Max Lahman. It's good to be here with you guys. So I'm going to read you four uh, questions that come out of our church's liturgy. And at the end, if you agree, please say, I do. Do you believe in one God... Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Do you accept the scripture as the only rule of faith and life? Do you, relying on the grace of God, promise to confess Christ publicly before others, to serve Christ daily, and to walk in Jesus' way? And finally, do you promise to accept the spiritual guidance of this church to walk in a spirit of Christian love with his congregation and to seek those things which make for unity, purity, and peace? If so, please say, I do. I do. I do. I do. Love it. And now, Third Church, would you please stand? I have a question for you because they are being welcomed into our body. Third Church. I have a question for you, and at the end, if you agree, please say, we will, with gusto. Will you promise to love, encourage, and support these brothers by teaching the gospel of God's love, by being an example of Christian faith and character, and by giving the strong support of God's family in fellowship, prayer, and service? If so, please say, we will. Yes. Phenomenal. You guys can take a seat. Um, before, um, nope, we're going to go forward. So, this is the part where I'm going to have you go back to your families. We are going to pray 
around over for these dudes. So families, uh, sorry, you're standing for this. So whoever, whoever came for this service with their families, would you gather around them, place a hand on them, get as comfy as you need to. I will stay further back for everyone's sake. Oh, ho, ho. That was real close. I mean, it would have been a story, right? And then we would have been able to... Remember that time Brett tipped over the baptism? All right. All right. Let's pray. We praise you, Father, for each of these students and the families that they represent. Thank you, Jesus, that each of these students is fearfully and wonderfully made. As your grace has drawn them to you, continue to strengthen and sustain them. By your Holy Spirit, daily increase in them your gifts, that they may bless those around them. I pray that they will keep their eyes firmly on you. I bless them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's family said, Amen. Amen. All right, one more round of applause. Chase and Max are also choosing to be uh, baptized today by way of sprinkling. So I asked them to come back up here. You can kind of stand over there for now. You don't have to get too close yet. Just for, you know, want to make sure you guys have mom and dad can see you the whole time on the video. So I'm going to first start by reading two passages. If you guys, if Joey, if you could throw up that Romans passage, um, please follow along on the screen with me. From Romans 6, 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. The essence of baptism is being in Christ and secondarily, it's about our use of water. So, in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, it also says, There is one body, one spirit, just as we were called to the one hope of our calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Baptism is the sign and seal of God's promises to his covenant people. In baptism, God promises by grace alone to forgive our sins to adopt us into the the body of Christ, the church, to send the Holy Spirit daily to renew us and cleanse us and to resurrect us to eternal life. So beloved of God, you stand before us to receive the sacrament of baptism. I ask you therefore before God and Christ's church to reject evil, to profess your faith in Christ Jesus, which you did, and to confess the faith of the church. So Chase and Max 
Will you renounce sin and the power of evil in your life and in the world? If so, please say, I will. Will you be a faithful member of this congregation and through worship and service seek to advance God's purposes here and throughout the world? If so, please say, I will. So Chase and Max were sprinkled as infants. Uh, we welcome uh, every family's choice in this process and how to use water rights. We are here to celebrate with them and to say yes and amen to what God is doing in and through their lives. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Third Church has been on a journey these past few years to um, better understand the implementation of the sacrament of baptism. Third Church voted to allow a broader use of water rites of baptism so that a person could be sprinkled or immersed. So infant sprinkling as a sign of covenantal inclusion into the church and immersion or sprinkling as a personal sign of a profession of faith. So it's not two separate baptisms it's one baptism in two moments over time. And if you guys want to know any more information on our bylaws, uh, we have some hard copies printed off on the Welcome Center, or you can check out our website. So, this is the part where we baptize you both, and then we're going to finish with a prayer. So, Chase, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs> Max, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> All right, well, I won't make you go back down and do the circle up thing. So if everyone wants to just reach a hand out to these guys here, I want to bring it in here. Let's pray. Gracious God, <clears throat> we thank you. That you cleanse and renew us. These children, through your grace alone, bless, bless and strengthen them daily with the gift of your Holy Spirit. Unfold to them the riches of your love, deepening their faith, keeping them from the power of the evil, one, and enabling them to live a holy and blameless life until your kingdom comes. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Most of you who know me, you know that I'm from Southern California. You know that I was raised out there. You know that I searched for about 10 years. You know that I drove a 69 Volkswagen bus and thought I was really cool, and I thought I had made it. You know that I was going to seminary, and I was actually going to be a pastor to be able to do what I'm experiencing right now and that is being before you all and teaching the word of God. And it was in that seminary principles of preaching class that all of a sudden, that was before technology, that was before cell phones, that was before iPads and laptops. 
And I was before my colleagues, and there were 24, 24 students. And as I had my final sermon, which was going to make up the majority of my grade, I remember standing behind a pulpit. I had my notes. I had my Bible. I had my drink of water. And all I could hear was the scratching of pencils on the evaluation forms. And I was breaking a sweat. And I was getting all what uh, Clayton and I uh, called before I got up here. It's called the pregame jitters. And it was at that point in time I decided not to be a pastor. So here I am. <laughs> never say never, people. You never know what's going to happen. Oh my goodness. Sarah, I, I put on the wrong vest this morning. What was I thinking? If you know my wife, she is a beautiful person. She is a person of style. She helps me out with my style. Obviously, I didn't get dressed before her this morning, right? Okay. People, what you don't know about me is that I love adventure. I love people. I love experiences. And I love places. I like to travel. I like being able to take in information with different ways of learning. And so it would be fitting this morning as we look at Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 18, it would be fitting that I parallel an adventure that I have been on when I graduated from seminary. You see, uh, when I graduated from seminary, I had a friend of mine, two friends actually. We were colleagues through seminary, and we... Uh, decided to go on a 40-mile backpacking trip. And so this was from Tuolumne Meadows in California, if you know where Tuolumne Meadows is. And we went down to Yosemite Valley, and it's about a 40-mile trip. We were going to be gone for seven days. So I want you to know one thing, that when I approach Scripture, I ask three basic questions. And the first question is, what is it that Jesus is trying to show us? Second question, what is it that Jesus wants us to learn? And remember that when Jesus wants us to learn something, often it's because he wants us to unlearn what we already know. To learn something new, I have to make space for something that I may think that I know and unlearn it. And then the third question, most importantly, is who does Jesus want me to be? And so here we are packing our bags, and we do have, there we are. So on the left, you'll see my good buddy Rick, and on the right, you'll see my good buddy Kevin, and we're packing our bags. And what you do when you go on a backpacking trip for seven days is you pack your bags according to the number of days, the last day being at the very bottom, the very first day being at the top. Now, that's a very important note that I want to point out because we're going to go on an adventure together, and I'm going to share with you what happened with Rick and what happened with Kevin and what happened with all of us. You know, oftentimes we start a journey, we start a way, we start a direction, and we think it's going to be one thing, but it becomes something else. Isn't that true, people? All of us, all of us are on this adventure. All of us are on this journey. We start taking one step, and all of a sudden we realize that we get pushed over, and we're going a few steps over, and we have to self-correct. 
So we're going to go on a journey. Turn your uh, Bibles to Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11 to begin with. And read with me if you have your, your uh, cell phone, if you have a Bible there. So the text, Lord Jesus, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of my heart be pure and acceptable in your sight, in Jesus' name. Mark chapter 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell them, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found the colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. So this section of scripture is called Jesus' triumphal entry. Why? Now I want you to imagine with me, if you're on the Mount of Olives, which is east of Jerusalem, it's about 2,600 feet up, this is the site that you would see. Now, 2,600 feet up is about twice the height of the Empire State Building. And this is what you would see right there. So 2,600 feet up, maybe a little bit further back, you would see this glorious, picturesque temple where you have gold-laden alabaster marble it commands a view of the city of Jerusalem. The Kidron Valley is just below. The people all lined up. Imagine this. Imagine the people all lining up in the town of Pella. And everyone is throwing their garments down. They're throwing palm fronds down. They're throwing plants down, anything that they could find. You see, at this point in time, Jesus was up north. And up north was the Sea of Galilee. He did not want to go to Jerusalem too often. And there was a reason why. He was up north in the Galilee area, Caesarea, Capernaum, all the cities up there, Nazareth. And he didn't come down to Jerusalem, which was the, the prime city, the Mecca of commerce. The, it, it, it literally was the... Uh, central uh, point of what Jesus was going to do. And recognize this, that this begins what's called the triumphal entry that will be the last week of Jesus' life. Now, Jesus starts at the trailhead. Bethany and Bethpage is just a few miles east of Jerusalem. So it's like from here to Otley. And that's the trailhead of his life. And what he's doing is he's preparing the disciples 
He's preparing them one click at a time for what's about to happen. So he asked to go fetch an unused donkey, never been ridden. He says to his disciples, go get that donkey. Can you imagine the disciples scratching their head going, what? Are you serious? It's, it's like going from here to Otley and saying, hey, there's a, there's a person who has a horse there. And uh, I want you to just ask them for the horse. They're going to give it to, to you. Don't worry. Untie it. Now, the donkey is a symbol of something. And it's a symbol of nobility and peace. And so if we look at Zechariah 9, verse 9. Let me read Zechariah 9, verse 9. And the disciples would have had knowledge of this. Zechariah being a prophet that preceded this time. Here's what Zechariah 9 says. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So imagine that and picture what they would have been thinking. They would have been thinking with their garments and their branches and everything that they were laying before the path that the crowd literally was proclaiming the coming of the Messiah from their captivity. Captivity of what? What was happening with them? Captivity of the Romans. You see, the Romans had control of everything. And the circumstances of that moment were an ultimate reality of a procession for the king. Now, all of us are going to experience a procession of a king, the ultimate reality. This was a foreshadowing of something that was to come. They did say Hosanna. They were all saying Hosanna, which means save now. It's an exclamation of praise. And for three years of ministry of the north, Jesus was quite popular. People have heard him heal. They'd heard him teach. They saw different miracles. So his popularity grew so that by the time he reached Jerusalem, there was a lot of chatter, a lot of words spoken, a lot of stories told about him. So he arrives at first just to check the temple out. A little bit later in the day, he goes and checks the temple out, and he was observing what was happening at the temple. So I'm going to come back to that, and I'm going to go to my other story, okay? So, like I said, any trip begins with the trailhead. And so Rick and Kevin and I, there we are. Isn't it glorious? Isn't it beautiful? You saw us packing our bags, but let me just tell you something. Unbeknownst to Rick, you know what we did? We packed three of these cans, two and a half pounds of Dentimore stew in the bottom of his backpack, and he didn't know it. Boom. And so on the third day, Kevin and I sat there and said, well, Kevin, I think it's time for a little bit of stew. And Rick goes, stew? What are you talking about? We said to Rick, well, Rick, why don't you just dig a little deeper? We're having supper. So Rick dug a little bit deeper, only to find out that he had nearly five pounds of supper that he was carrying around. For us, 
only to enjoy it on the third day. Well, Rick, you got a little bit of exercise. You had to carry a little bit of weight for us, didn't you? And you didn't know it. Huh. What kind of point are you trying to make, Matthew? Did we carry weight around? We made Rick carry weight around. And we were friends, you know. We continued on our journey. So let's continue on our journey with Jesus, okay? Let's go to Mark 11, 12 through 14. So 12 through 14. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing the distance of fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Now think about this. Commentators say this is one of the most difficult passages to interpret in scripture. Great, that was the passage I got, right? So I read and read and read and tried to understand people that are a lot smarter than me. What is Jesus trying to say here? This is the only miracle of destruction in the New Testament. But I want to say that as I began to read and study a bit, as I began to learn, the fig tree with leaves but no fruit. This was the month of March. And similar to what we see now happening around Pella, you see the tulips coming up. You see trees starting to bud. You see plants starting to show a bit of life and leaves. The fruit's not going to come until June. Just like our tulips don't come until May. And so the disciples are walking along with Jesus. And he sees this, this fig tree and he curses it. Can you imagine disciples just scratching their heads going, what? Why are you cursing a tree? Really? Who are you anyway? So what's happening there is the day before, Jesus was preparing them for something because he had already been to the temple and he already had been knowledgeable and saw what was going on in the temple. The fig tree was a representation of Israel. You see, Jesus was hungry for a nation that was open, genuine, loving the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if you've read Deuteronomy chapter 6, the great Shema, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what he witnessed was something totally different. Yes, there were leaves. There were leaves, right? But there were no fruit. So what is the fruit of the sacrifice at the temple? What is our fruit? What is the representation of what we do here at church with each other? See, we have the opportunity of coming here with all the leaves, the knowledge of scripture, the knowledge of good Christian behavior, the knowledge of what we do and how we're going to behave here while we're sitting here in our seats at church, even the knowledge of what I'm supposed to do while I'm up here. What does it look like to be a preacher? How are we supposed to act? What are we supposed to say? Those are leaves. And when we walk with Jesus, he shows us the unnecessary weight that we carry, that we even bring here in our sanctuary. Sometimes that unnecessary weight, like Hannah was saying at the beginning of our service, sometimes it's hurt, sometimes it's pain, sometimes it's anything that opposes 
the Lord. Because what Jesus was doing in the temple is what Jesus is beginning to create in our hearts here and now. You see, right now, we're coming to the temple. Is it a temple of brick and mortar and gold? Well, no, this is a beautiful stage. But see, the temple was here, and the disciples didn't realize what really was going on with Jesus' ministry, cursing the fig tree, talking about the leaves, talking about no fruit, and then going into the temple and beginning to uh, whip and, and, and do things that began to be what appeared to be violent. So what is our fruit? When we walk with Jesus, he shows us the unnecessary weight that we carry. And if I could have that next slide, please. So this is a picture going back to my journey. This is when Rick found out what we did. Okay? And it was a friendly chokehold. And after he chokeheld me, he chokeheld Kevin, and then we had supper. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. That was the funniest joke I think I've ever played on someone. Denty more stew. Can't wait to open those cans. So uh, we continued on our journey. And if I could ask slide number five, please. This is Cathedral Peak. And Cathedral Peak is literally a peak that shoots out of the ground on the way to Yosemite Valley. And as you can see, if you were up close, you would see that there are spires that just look like, like a rock that's shooting towards the heavens. It was glorious. We had moments of just the reality of God. So when Jesus enters the temple, if I could have slide number six, please. This is what it would look like when you entered the temple. The temple was considered the sacred space. The temple was a place of offering, of prayers, of daily rituals, sacrifices. They were all offered and performed daily. It was the very hub and the grand central of the Hebrew community. It was the Times Square of culture and of the Hebrew way of life. That is why the Romans were so frustrated with the Jewish people, because there was so much hoopla, rigor, and things that the Romans had to accommodate in order to have a somewhat peaceful way of ruling and managing this people group. So I'm going to give you a, a little bit better of a schematic of what the temple looked like. And so take a look at this picture. So you see the temple, and that is in the inner square. But you see the, the, the area that is circled in yellow. That is the area that Jesus first walked into the first time before he went back to Bethany. He saw what was going on there. Now, the temple covered the top of Mount Zion. So this whole area is about 30 acres. And it's called Mount Zion. Right now, there is a Muslim mosque there. And King Herod's temple is just kind of built around it, beside it, what have you. Surrounded by great walls 1,000 to 1,300 feet in length in that day. And as Jesus entered the temple from the beautiful gate, which you can see where the beautiful gate is right there on that inner part, 
You would have viewed marble and alabaster immediately and gold everywhere. At the inner edge was a low wall, and if you passed that, the penalty was death. You see, when you enter that temple area, there was a court of women. So the next slide. There's that first area, and there's the court of the women, and that was the area that only the women could go. They could go no further. The next area, you can see towards the middle, is a gate, and that's the court of the Israelites. Here's where the congregations gathered. Offerings were handed from the worshipers to the priests. And then the priests would go into the holy place and then the holy of holies, where the ark was kept. And that's where the sacrifices were made. So this was a daily thing. There was a whole progression of how this was to take place. There were rules and guidelines for where men were, where women were, where tribes were. And in the marketplace, what took place there and why this was so significant was, let me read Mark 15, B through 19, and we'll, we'll discover this. So Mark 15. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is, is it not written, my house shall be ca called a house of prayer for all nations? But you've made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. So what's the significance of what was going on here? Well, what does Jesus want us to know? What does he want us to learn? Mark would want the readers, primarily Gentile, to know and understand that Jesus was clearing this temple. Jesus' actions challenged the authority and actually was costing the Romans, as well as the chief priests, a lot of moolah. See, the Romans were in on it. If, if you, uh, on the other slide, on slide number seven, right next to the temple, up there uh, towards the top, was uh, the place where Herod lived. So that was his little palace. So he was very connected to what was going on on the Temple Mount. And the temple became a place where money was the gig alongside worship and prayer. The Romans were in on it, and they got a cut. The money changers, so here's what the money changers would do. If you were coming to my house and I say, the only way you can get through this door is if you pay dollars, and let's say you had pesos. I'd say, well, let me tell you how many pesos equal my dollar. And what I would be doing is I would be taking your peso, amplifying it, so I, in the end, make more dollars. That's what was taking place on the Temple Mount, and Jesus saw it all. The money changers would actually shortchange the foreign currency for their own to let others purchase a sacrifice. As well, what they would do is, let's say you brought your goat or you brought your, your pigeon or sparrow, whatever animal you had, and you brought it, and I said, you know what? This animal is just not clean enough. What we need to do is you need to buy one of these here. So Money change, short change you, 
I give that to you, I take yours, I put it in this little corral over here, and the next person comes up. Oh, I'm sorry, that one, that animal there is not good. I got one for you right here. This was the same animal that the person before that I said wasn't good. So you see what was happening. So much hypocrisy, so much savory. What's the point of all this? What is the point? What are you asking yourself as I'm sharing this with you? See, what Jesus is doing, we all know how to show the leaves. Now think about this, people. I know how to show the leaves. I think I'm a pretty good guy. I do good things, don't you? In your jobs, in your families, in your relationships, Jesus is going inwards. He's talking about what's here. So what did he do? It was such an offense to the heart of God the Father, to the man Christ was, that he took whips out. And by force, he removed them from the temple, or you might say, the marketplace. One night, as we were sleeping in our tent, next slide, please, number nine. One night, we're sleeping in our tent. This is an awesome story. And so I, I don't know how it is I get the short straw, but do you ever feel like you get the short straw all the time? Sometimes it just feels that way. So I was, we were sleeping in the tent, and if you know anything about being 30 miles from civilization and having food, there's bears in the woods. So what you want to do is you want to tie all of your food, including your backpacks, in a large bag. You tie it, and you tie it up high so that when the bears smell it, they can't get it. So one night, you know, we're, we're in our tent. We're not going to sleep open air. And I'm, I'm right by the doorway. That's, that's the short straw. I got the short straw. And so I'm sleeping there, and I hear all of a sudden, I'm going, guys, something's outside the tent. What's going on? What do we do? So we're all vigilant. We're all just kind of sitting in there. We can hear sniffing around the tent. So I said, you guys, the only thing we can do is see what's out there. And so I'm laying there. I'm laying there. And I zip open the zipper where the door is. And I'm not kidding you. 12 inches away was the face of a black bear. And so I, I bristled, of course. And the bear went like that. And I said, come on, guys. We got to get out of here. We got to start making noise. And we got, we got out of the tent. And what has happened, this is a picture, no kidding. This was a tree that was growing sideways. And we looped a rope around the tree. And the food was hanging in what we thought was a safe place. But here's what happened. The bear actually climbed that tree and was holding onto that tree and was swiping the rope. And guess what? He actually got it. And this was day number four. And there I was looking at a bear, and he had a, a jar of Skippy peanut butter in his mouth, and he was running. And I'm going, wait, wait, that's my, uh, what am I going to do? Lo and behold, we scared them away in time. There was enough time that there was a little bit of food left. But you know what was left? Does anyone know what trail mix is? Like, how many days can you live off a of trail mix? We discovered we could live off a of trail mix for three days. That's all we had. What's the point? 
Sometimes we get stolen from on this journey. Sometimes, honestly, when you come to the temple of God, you don't know what's going to happen. So we got stolen from that night only to be looking forward to a steak dinner three days later that we were going to have. We were 20, 30 miles in the middle of nowhere. We knew that Yosemite Valley had a lodge, and they served the most awesome steak, the most tasty steak, but we're 30 miles away from it. Sometimes we're far away from what we really want. We're far away from what we need. When you come to the temple, sometimes you don't know what you're going to get. It's the way of life. But when you come to the temple, as we'll see, with God and others, you make things right. You make things right with yourself. So I'm going to show you another picture here. This is Rick and Kevin. We made things right. He's sitting up on a rock. He's journaling. That's Cathedral Peak in the background. So look at how far we've come. And it's not a straight line, just so you know. It's not a straight line. All right? A lot of zigzagging back and forth. And he's been in a much better place after a few miles, befriending him. And so the temple of God, in closing, it's not a there and then thing. It's a here and now. As Hosea 6.6 states, I don't want your sacrifices. I want your love. I don't want your offerings. I want you to know me. What Jesus did his last week of his life was prepare the way for the temple of God to be in our hearts. Not out there, not with brick and mortar, but with every drop of blood, sweat, and heart intention to envelop our humanity, our ignorance, our missing this glorious mark of relationship with the Lord, others, and ourselves. And so what I want to ask in just a few minutes we have left is, what do you want? Why do you come to the temple? For the Hebrew culture, the temple was a center of religious, civic, and dutiful behavior. On this side of the cross is something so much more. It's the source of life. It's the source of authority. It's the source of healing, the source of hope. It's the source of our futures. It's the source and the purpose of our existence. When we approach the temple, we are approaching the heart of Jesus and, and the love of God, the love of God the Father. So if the worship team could come up, we can begin to enter a time of thanksgiving. You know, people... I think most of you know what I do. And I do it because I, I love seeing people at their best. And if you don't know what I do, come and ask me afterwards and I'll tell you what I do. I spend time with people, I have conversations. And these are meaningful conversations. But I want you to know something. How we approach the temple is how we are approaching the living God. Because the temple of God is here. And so we, we come to church, we do our things, we sing songs. 
And all of us come to the temple wanting something. We need something. Sometimes it's, uh, we, we need healing. I'm going to read a passage of scripture. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. Come to the temple. He's in your heart. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. So some of you may wonder, what is this you're wearing, Matthew? Where's this fancy vest? And I want you to know that it's not a bulletproof vest. It's a weighted vest. But how many of us come to the temple with weight? How many of us come to temple with hurts? How many of us come to the temple confused and uncertain about who this Jesus person is? How many of us come to the temple needing something but we're afraid to ask? How many of us come to the temple and we can't do it by ourselves? So what we have to do is we have to ask a gentleman to come and help us and take the weight off. I've lived life long enough to know that I can't take off my own weight, that I need a friend, I need a brother, I need a sister. And when we have help with each other, when we can have friendships that are trusting and open and sincere and honest, thank you. We no longer carry the weight. And so people, come, come to the temple. Jesus gave us a representation, his blood, his body. Come to the temple.